Kearney, Maryland, along with a few dozen other rabid Colts fans. Cheney had to work that evening, but had set aside this afternoon for the game. At the home of the famous doggerel poet and Colts fan Ogden Nash in suburban Baltimore, the entire Nash family was gathered in the living room. At a novitiate in Baltimore, burdened with a mean-spirited local ecclesiastical admonition against watching the game on TV, the obedient but clever Mother Superior draped a blanket over the set. There was no rule against listening. Many of the viewers just beginning to tune in were not regular watchers of pro football, and they were seeing something starkly different than the traditional college games played on sunny autumn afternoons. This was more like a mortal combat from some dark underworld. As in some medieval rite, the players on both sidelines were draped in long capes. A master cinematographer could not have lit the scene more dramatically. In the shadow of the stands, men wore long wool overcoats and gloves. Many wrapped wool scarves over their heads, covering their ears, and scrunched fedoras on top of the scarves. They smoked cigarettes or cigars, and when they cheered or spoke, their faces would momentarily cloud in smoke and steam. Beneath the red, white, and blue bunting draped from the second tier, the stand smelled of tobacco and beer and occasionally a whiff of whiskey or rum or the pungent stab of a struck match. Nineteen-year-old William Gildea, who would grow up to be a sports writer for the Washington Post, was there with his father, sitting high over one of the end zones. They had been going to Colts games together since the first one the team had played in 1947 and had taken the train from Baltimore to New York the day before. Behind the end zone on the eastern side of the stadium, out where the left field bullpen was during baseball season, stood Neil Leifer with his Yashica Matt Twin Lens Reflex Camera. It was Neil's 16th birthday, and he was spending it the way he had spent every Sunday afternoon that season. He had joined a camera club at the Henry Street Settlement House to where the camera and film he carried had been donated. The club had taught him to shoot, develop, and print his own pictures, and he had discovered a potential market for them with the magazines and wire services around town. Neil knew their deadlines, and he had shopped his work after every home game. So far, he hadn't had any luck, but this was a big game. He had to be on the field for the shots he wanted, but the club wasn't handing out sideline passes to teenagers with borrowed cameras. Neil was tenacious, though, he had learned that before every game, busloads of disabled veterans arrived at the loading ramps outside Yankee Stadium's outfield walls. There was no place for men in wheelchairs up in the stands, but the Giants allowed them to watch from their chairs against the outfield wall behind the end zone. They even provided blankets and hot coffee. When the buses started arriving from the various veterans' hospitals in the hour before kickoff, there was always a need for able-bodied volunteers to push them into the stadium. Neil knew that the stadium guards and cops, in return for his help, would let him stick around. Sometimes they would even let him creep up the sidelines, although usually the accredited photographers would kick up a fuss and he would have to come back. The market for still shots from the game was small, and the pro shooters didn't welcome competition, even from a 16-year-old on his birthday. The surly culture of beery male boorishness that would come to typify football crowds had not yet taken hold, so there were many women in the stands. They, too, wrapped scarves around their heads and across their faces, and huddled under blankets. Joanne Kemp, 
The young wife of Giants backup quarterback Jack Kemp was there, pregnant with their first child, Jeff, who would grow up to be an NFL quarterback. Marcia Hirsch was huddled under a blanket with her mother. She was 16 and had come up from Baltimore on the bus with a big group of Colts rooters who were now in the upper deck over the 50-yard line. Her father, Abe, who owned a furniture store, was so excited that he screamed himself hoarse. Years later, Marcia would remember his eyes glowing with excitement as he had rasped to her, History is being made. It was hard not to sense it. Consider the men on the field. Many were already famous. Others were just starting their careers. Among the giants were Roosevelt Brown, Rosie Greer, Frank Gifford, Sam Huff, Emlyn Tunnell, Mel Triplett, and Andy Robostelli. Kicking for New York was Pat Summerall, who would become, as would Gifford, among the most famous...